0: Hi, everybody. This is Buck Grant, and this podcast is brought to you by my book, Over the Top Rope, Life Lessons from the Ring. I'm really excited about this. This has been a book that's three years in the making, and it's a story about my fight career, uh, 15 different stories about my fights, and more importantly, the lessons that I learned, the life lessons that I learned while I was in the ring. Um, These stories are good for anyone. They're universal truths that can help anyone, whether you have a fight in the ring or the cage, or if you are dealing with any type of adversity in your normal life, if you are dealing with problems at work or with your family or anything, these stories can help you and hopefully will help you uh, become a better fighter in your own everyday life. So check out my book. It's at amazon.com or you can go to buckgrant.com and check it out from there. And without further ado, here is our podcast all right everyone welcome to the wisdom of the warrior podcast where we seek out the warrior spirit in a modern-day world. Here I am joined by Greg Nelson, trainer of champions such as Dave Monet, Sean Shirk, and Brock Lesnar, and countless other champions. He has been a great mentor in my life, and we are very honored to have you on the show, sir. Awesome. Glad to have you here. Cool. So I um, wanted to talk a little bit about how you got into the martial arts and some of your early influences.
1: Well, uh,
0: originally...
1: I was always an athlete growing up, and I then went to kind of investigate judo. That was the first one when I was a little kid, and you know, as a little kid, you did like a little kid—you're flopping around and doing stuff. But I had a fun time, and then I, I kind of said, "Oh, hey, this is kind of going to help my wrestling." And so I started to kind of incorporate stuff. And then my brother kind of showed me how to box. And basically, he was six years older than me, so he boxed on me for <laughs> that. One. And uh, and then I, I started meeting some friends, and this is about set when I was in seventh grade, and we started getting into, okay, I wrestle and did some boxing, you do some karate, you know, let's let's start training together and start really building our ability to fight. We want to know how to fight, basically. And so we started doing that. And then, of course, we started getting books like karate books, mastering karate by Masoyama uh, you know Judo books by Haywood Nishioki, Mish- all these different guys that were like really I thought were great guys and then of course all of a sudden we found the Bruce Lee books you know and it was like you know the the, the four series of Bruce Lee self-defense books We were like, oh look at you, this is great <laughs> And, of course we went to that and then we got the Guru Dan's first books that he wrote and at first I I, I thought it was called Kai. Right? I go, yeah, look at this Kalite stuff. It's <laughs> awesome. And so, you know, we were training, we were trying to do all this stuff and having good time with it. And uh next thing you know, you know, we're we're um you know, starting to kind of do mixed martial arts, but it's not really. I was doing wrestling, they were doing uh you know karate and we we're just starting to train. Well then as I got older, we started to organize a little bit, and I was getting really into gymnastics and wrestling, uh, you know, a variety of the other stuff. Oh, I can see myself now. There we go. And we are getting into, you know, a little bit more organized training. Like, we'd really try to work on our boxing, really try to work on our, you know, striking and kicking and then wrestling and try to put it together. And... I was working, and this is actually, this is all through high school we were doing that. And I was really being, focusing on gymnastics and wrestling as a sport, but we were just doing martial arts and really having a blast with it. And I was working between the summers of 10th grade and, uh, I mean, uh, senior high and and college. And I saw this guy doing Sinawali with two knives. And I said, hey, that's (laughs) Kali. And the guy goes, "Uh, Kali? And I go, Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I go, where did you do that? And he goes, oh, I'm just, and he it was really funny. He goes, no, nah, I'm the president of Taekwondo Club. I'm just playing around. I said, that's not Taekwondo. You're uh, a collie, you know. And so I really pursued him for about a month. His name was Steve K. And then he said one Saturday, he goes, okay, if you're really interested, why don't you come with me for tra- with training where I go? And I go, oh, for sure, I'm going. So we drove to Rick Faye's garage. Oh, wow. And so, yes. And so it was Rick Faye. And six other guys in his garage training. And he had, he started training with Guru Dan in 1979. And, and so, and he did Wing Chun as a first martial art. And I was just kind of blown away. And I was just like, my God, I found it. This is it. (laughs) These guys, you know, and he goes, well, we're doing Jean Fan. I go, what is that? Jean (laughs) Fon. And so then he explained it. And, That was it. That's when I really started training the jean-fa martial arts. And we're just basically getting into the very beginnings of Thai boxing because Guru Dan was showing it in in his seminars. But, you know, wasn't really as dynamic anywhere where it is now. And and we started doing the Kali. And it was organized. We had, you know, we'd start with Sinawali. And then we'd go to trapping. And then we'd do glove drills. And it was just like, this is the best thing in the world. And in nineteen. Eighty-four, Rick Fay opened up the first uh, Minnesota Kali group, and at that time it was Minnesota Collie's young fan Group, and and so we had a, a, a basically of a school developed. And in that year, nineteen eighty-four, we brought in Guru Dan and Santo. So that's the first time I, I met Guru Dan, and uh, and then that same year, uh, right at the end of nineteen eighty-four, beginning of nineteen eighty-five, Guru Dan and Achang Chai did a seminar together. To, at Fred Daggerberg's school and then seeing, you know, Achan at that time, I was like blown away. I'm like, oh my God, look at this dude. He's, he's freaking unbelievable. And not only that, he was this really, you know, back at back in the old day, it was like hardcore. Right. And I said, like, this is awesome. This is like wrestling, but you're striking, you know, <laughs> you know, that I really feeling that fatigue and that push. And so I loved it. And I just really fell in love with that part of it. And the way that Rick, uh, Rick Faye taught his classes. it was really dynamic and you know, really cool, collie, and this and you know, then I became training partners, basically, with Rick. And, uh, and that's where it's And then I started to bring my wrestling back into the mix of everything because for a while there, after I stopped wrestling, I totally divorced myself from wrestling 100% so I could do Thai boxing, jean Fon martial arts, mm. collie, Starting to learn C-LOT and the lock flows. First it was lock flows with Sifu Larry Hartzell, and then I brought back the wrestling. And I said, "Okay, let's see how it all fits together with the really intense methodology of hand fighting and takedowns and the groundwork." And that was kind of how we I melded everything together and started really training with that time. And at that time too, remember um, Eric Paulson started training with Rick Faye in 1984 and he was coming in to the mix and he was, right. you know, yeah. And so he was there doing the striking and, and he did judo and, and it was pretty cool because, you know, he really wanted to spar. And then he ended up moving out to California and started training with, you know, C Fuleri and Yuri Nakamura. And then the bam, all of a sudden, Eric Paulson just became the encyclopedia of, of basically, grappling in mixed martial arts you know because he was doing it he was living it and you know then I'd go out there and I'd, I'd train with him and then we'd come back and so that was where it all kind of blossomed into what it is now
0: wow and for a lot of people that don't understand that like you're basically direct lineage from from Bruce Lee's lineage down through Danny Assanto and then through Ajan Chai through the Thai boxing and this is all before UFC it was this popular thing that it is now
1: oh yeah yeah it was far before that it was like you know, remember, it when it first came out in 1993 was when the first UFC came out. And 1993 was the first time we um, started fighting and tie boxing competitively. And we were, we were training, uh, you know, of course, doing as much as we can with the shooto, for shoot wrestling, because in 1989, remember when Yuri first came to train with Gurudan and Santo, he never told Gurudan he did shooto. He was so enamored with Bruce Lee and jean Van martial arts that for eight months or eight or nine months he was here and the word shudo was never even mentioned <laughs> and, and and all of a sudden uh, yuri goes oh i have this thing called shudo shoot wrestling you might be interested in to gurudan and gurudan just went oh my gosh you gotta be kidding me you've been here for this long and haven't said anything and so that's when uh, of course shudo came into the play and you know, then, uh, then I went out there and started training with um, Yuri at the classes at the ensano Academy. And in 1989, I moved out to California for about four months. And I lived with Achan Chai. And, uh, and then I also stayed, spent time with, with Eric. I'd stay at his house. But mostly I was with Achan Chai at Carson, living with him. And I'd drive into the academy every day and train the morning classes. And then just hang around Marina and go to whatever because I didn't want to drive in that traffic. Sure. So I had to stay at the night classes. And I'd drive back to Achan's, and then I had an aunt that lived in in uh, Chula Vista. So then the weekends I'd drive down to Chula Vista. And so that's how I kind of spent my uh, 19 – the summer of 1989 was basically out in California doing – just living a dream at that point.
0: For sure. And it seems like some of the most um, successful martial artists – well, successful people in, that I know of have had this era of like this gypsy status – yeah, for a little yeah. While where they just basically lived on the road, perfecting and following their craft.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think about it. You think about how uh, you know surfers or whatever—they all had that kind of thing where they decided, "I'm just going to follow the wave, wherever the waves are. I'm going to go." And that's kind of how a lot of us have developed in our martial arts. We're going to go wherever the, the top guys are. We're going to go. And so that's kind of cool. Following the whole seminar circuit, and I always tell people. You know, ultimately, I'm a product of the seminars, you know, mm-hmm. and we learn so much from seminars because Gurudan, how he trained it, it's like a fire hose of stuff getting thrown at you. And you're just like, okay, let's go back and see what you remember what I remember. And we just start training. And I think that was really essential in our development because we didn't ever take it for granted. Because sometimes I remember going when I, when I lived in California, I'd go to the academy. A lot of people just assume that, oh, Gurudan's going to be there. He's there every Tuesday and Thursday. You just go train with Guru Dan. That's the way it is. Well, we were like, no, this is like something extremely special. This is not just get to go train with Guru Dan. It is like we get to train under Guru Dan. It was like cherished. And so when we went back, you know, when we go to a seminar, we would have to take as much as we learned, and we'd have to train it and develop it and build it. And then we'd come up to Guru Dan and say, wow, look at what we did. And he go, well, oh, that's awesome. Now watch the 52 variations of this. And we we're just like, Whoa. <laughs> you know, it was just like, wow, look at how far it can go. And then we'd go and we, we'd drill that stuff in it and drill it. And that's the same thing we did with the tie boxing. You know, we didn't have Aunt John sitting next to us the whole time. So we had to try to build this up as high as we could and push ourselves as much as we could and try to, you know, and by doing that, we were seeking out and finding it on our own a little bit. And, uh, and that was, uh, I think, a huge thing. And in 1989 is the first time I went to Thailand with Achon Chai, too. And so that made a big impact training. At, uh, I trained at uh, a camp called Singpave, uh, uh, um, or, or not, I mean Sompantale. Uh, Sompantale was the first camp I trained, and that's where Rainbow, the, the first Rainbow, was uh, coming up to be the champion at that time. And, and I was the first uh, Falong to ever train in that camp. Mm-hmm. And so that was pasty white. I was about the one ever. And they, at first, they were like, oh, we're going to kill this guy. And, but training with Achan really had a base. And plus, I had a really solid base in Greco. So at least when my two feet were on the ground, I could really clinch. The problem was lifting my foot off the ground. <laughs> and as soon as I felt that, they would just fling you. And I was just like, man, this is unbelievable. How can this 115, 125-pound dude? He's just flipping me around. All right. We have to figure this out. and So going back, you know, we start to think, okay, how do we, how do we mask our balance so we can't telegraph our knee when we're doing it? And bringing the principles of, Gre- of Greco, but at the same time throw the knee in. And that's really where I started investigating the clinch so much because really getting thrown around by a person that was a lot lighter than me. I said, man, this is a totally different art. You lift one foot off the ground, everything changes. As long as my two feet were on the ground, I was good to go. But lifting that one foot up, that changed the whole thing. Yeah. And so that was really how oh, I started really investigating the clinch as well and really breaking that part down. Because I, my thing is, you know how they always say, well, every fight starts and ends up on the ground. And I said, well, maybe, maybe not. I've had a lot of fights that didn't end up on the ground. But I can tell you this. For me, a lot of them, almost everyone ended up in a clinch of some sort. Sure. And so I said, this is where I want to be because then I have the ability to if need be, I can get this thing on the ground fast, or if I wanted, I could potentially keep it up on my feet. So I wanted to really, you know, investigate and embrace that aspect of, of fighting. So that's why I really put a lot of time and ex- you know time was experimenting, you know, finding out new things, training methods, combining in that clinch range, and uh, using all the elements from Shri- Yuri Nakamura and Guru Dan and Ashan Chai and all these other people and Eric Paulson and and the jujitsu, and just trying to blend it all into this this thing, and then of course, you know, being able to blossom and the rest of the stuff was there. But I really found for me, a clinch was something I really really loved that area.
0: Yeah, your your clinch videos are like to this day. I teach stuff from your clinch videos <laughs> in my classes, and I make sure that I, I I credit it every single time because I remember meeting you at the Thai camp, and 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 being the one being thrown around every time I lifted my leg, and it was it was just phenomenal how how much control you had in that and it's also phenomenal how much energy you still have about the martial arts right now do you do you feel like in the modern day era of martial arts do people still have that same passion to go get it to go go seek it out like like the olden days used to
1: you know honestly to tell you the truth I don't see that as much Mm. it's like everything's so readily available they can go on YouTube and look up something or they can get a DVD and the next, next, next 15 guard passes I can do from this. And I'm just sitting there going, well, that's great. But that thing can't tell you, Hey, you know what? You got to put a little bit more pressure on my left hip. You got to go after the guys and, and learn it first, firsthand. And I see a lot of people that are not, you know, as, as far as my, in our generation, there was a lot more people constantly seeking out and going to seminars and, and, and we tried to get to every single seminar that was if Gurudan was in town or if he was in anywhere within driving distance. We were there. And Gurdan, Acham Chai, you know, see for Larry Hartzell, you know, anybody who was doing seminars and camps, you know, I was I was trying to find out how am I going to get there, who's going with me. If no one's going with me, I don't even care because yeah. we're going to place, you know. And, you know, the same thing of moving out to California for that time and just living out there and seeking it and then coming back and then I'd then I'd periodically go back and train at the academy to spend like a week or two weeks, then come back. Then I'd go to Professor Sauer's school in Utah and train there for a week. And then I'd come back and then I'd go out to a camp that's down in North Carolina or a camp that's in somewhere and spend a week. And, and that's how kind of Thai boxing camp. I've been going to that for 24 years. This is the 25th year this time. Wow. And, and, you know, for me, it's just like going into like a, any kind of a, a – Anthony Robbins seminar, the speaking seminar. Every time I go to a seminar, it's like I get ignited again. It's like, wow, look at Guru Dan. He's all, look at him. He's still flying and he's still excited about it. He's like uh, watching a kindergarten kindergarten kid learning how to, look at the word I did. You know, it's like, oh my God. And he's doing that with the martial arts to this day. Mm-hmm. and And it's just really inspiring to me. And so that's, to me, I get fed off the seminars. But I do believe that, you know, there is a, I think there is kind of a air of, well, I, I can just look at it on YouTube or I can just download it on some video. I don't have to go out and get it. And I think it, ultimately that's doesn't allow you to grow as much because you're not investing really your time and energy and sacrifice to go get something, which really makes it mean a lot more.
0: Yeah, with, uh, with modern technology and everything being at the, the tip of our fingers, it's the the act of actually going out seeking it and and having some gratification for doing that is kind of kind of missing because it's almost too easy to get.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's why I tell people, I think that was a benefit of our development with, uh, with Rick, with Rick Fay and the group that we developed, because when we were first doing it, there was no internet, there was no YouTube there. We had VHS tapes that we (laughs) we were getting and, and so we had to really take things apart and analyze them and dissect them and train them and figure stuff out. And, and we were thinking we are inventing things. And then you'd go back and go down and be like, wow, that's awesome. Now watch. That's like the beginning of these five different things I'm going to show you. And then that's going to have five more things. And it was just like, wow, this is awesome. We can go back and now work this stuff. And, and, uh, and so we really put down a lot of time, a lot of what we call the flight time learning stuff and developing which we thought we were developing things but it's our it's already there and guru dan said there's nothing new under the sun but that process of thinking and learning and 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 actually developing on your own even though someone else has developed it and maybe you know has a thousand options but you haven't seen that yet so you're doing the process of developing and then all of a sudden you get there and you go wow this guy's already done this so we have this many things more that we can work but now it's we have a base and a, and a solid foundation that was really, I think, you know, built in us by that seeking on our own that a lot of people don't have right now.
0: Wow. And so as an instructor, what what are some things that you do in order to, to bring that out in your students?
1: Well, the biggest thing I, I, I try to do is as an instructor is try to, show that excitement that I still have for the martial arts and, you know, and really try to, you know, hopefully make that excitement kind of infectious. Like some people are like, wow, how can you just still get into it? And I, and I, and I'm a big believer in, in not only just showing the techniques all right, and regurgitating them, but then trying to pass on those same, you know, lessons that I've learned in developing my my things, the techniques behind the technique, why, the hows, you know, how did I develop this? Where did we get this from? You know, how did he develop it? Where's the lineage from? And I still think there's a huge part of martial arts that is slowly eroding, but I'm really huge into the lineage, the history, where did we get this? Which what's martial arts is about. That's a, it's about the history. It's about the loyalty. It's about the respect. And I want to kind of pass that on so that when we have an opportunity that Gurdan's in town or Achan Chai is going to be here, that people are like, oh, I want to go see that guy because that's where it all started from. Okay. And if I could do that, I think I've really done a lot of service to the, to the student.
0: Awesome. So, with that's a great segue um, using the word martial arts and the segue into the the era of mixed martial arts. Or has, have you you've called it mixed martial athletics before? Which yes, I really yes. really like the. Uh, I wanted to talk about the distinction between the two: mixed martial arts versus what is commonly known as mixed martial athletics. And what do you see is the the difference between the two terms?
1: Well, I truly believe. And I think that there is right now kind of an erosion of the art aspect of, you know, martial arts due to, you know, the, the UFC and, and mixed martial arts, which to me, you might as well just call it mixed fighting or mixed martial athletics, because all the, a lot of people, all they're thinking about is going out, learning how to fight, and only going to use this. And there's kind of almost an an air of an entitlement that they think that they should just get stuff because they're a fighter. And I'm like, well, that's just a normal person in our life. You know, that's, that's, that's how we all develop. There's nothing special, but I do believe that there's uh that people just want those things that are going to help them fight in that little teeny arena, which is, you know, mixed martial arts now, as it's called. And, and I, and to me, there's so much more than that. You know, there's the training methods, there's the, you know, the individual paths that each one of these martial arts can take you on. It's a journey. It's not. And I think what happens is people are always looking for that product. I'm going to be in the UFC and that's the product. And then, then they get there. Some of them, they've made their, they've got to their, their level of what they told themselves. and so then they get done Fighting, or they get beat a couple times, fight with, but they don't really understand about the, the art of it, that it, it is a lifestyle, and this is something that you can do for the rest of your life. Fighting, competitively, you're only going to be able to do for a small window of time in your life, and and if you don't really maximize everything about that, it's usually a lot of fighters that I've seen, they get done fighting, and then you just don't see them anymore because they didn't learn that this is an art, that's about the process, about the development, about learning how to be a better human being, about using the martial arts as a vehicle of self-discovery, which we've always been taught. And, and we can use it as our next stepping stone to get to anything we want. You know, I use it to help people who don't even do martial arts. I say, well, guess what? You can use the same principles to develop in whatever you'd like. It doesn't matter. And to me, that's where the art is. You know, the art is in the, the development of the person Taking uh, a person who may not be a an athlete at all and has never done anything, and he's on like a, a level two as far as athletics concerned, and all of a sudden you bring this guy up to a five, and he's changed his whole life. Whereas you get an athlete, he's already at a, a seven or an eight. What are you going to do with this guy? He's already an athlete, and he assumes that he, he just is born with all this skill. And taking a guy who's a seven and eight and turning him into a, a nine, big deal. It's easy. If a guy can't do that, he's not. He's, he's squandering his gifts. That's easy. But it's taking that person who doesn't have these gifts, who's not an athlete, who this is totally foreign, foreign to, and changing their life, and so that they have this idea that, man, I can continue to better myself. I can, I can, you know, be a, not only a better athlete. Who cares? But I can have more confidence. I'm losing weight. I'm feeling better about myself, and that changes a life. That's where I think the art is. And, you know, with martial athletics, it's just like an athlete. It seems like once an athlete is done with their sport, that's it. Mm. Maybe they become a coach or they don't. It's not like, you know, you you look at things and, you know, like wrestling is my original sport. You don't see guys that are 56 years old just going out full out wrestling because they get to. They're like, those guys are nuts. I'm done. I did my wrestling as a <laughs> old one, and now I, I coach a little bit, but that's it. You know, to me, it's like, man, that's a bummer. What if you could, you know, take that and continue on and, and use that as a vehicle to develop yourself as a, as a human being? That'd be great. And that's how I think the martial arts really allows us to do. It becomes, uh, like I said, it's more about the process and the training methods and, and how we can become a better person, build our character you know, our persistence, consistency, you know, our self-worth, our confidence, things that well, you can take to anything and it'll help you. That's why I think the martial arts are really the differentiation between that and martial athletics.
0: Mm. And it really helped me because I, I, I was not an athlete coming into any of this. I was actually a pretty skinny, sickly kid. And I, I learned how to become strong through through martial arts. And not just physically strong, but like the internal strength that, that you talk mm-hmm. about. And if it weren't for that martial arts mentality, I never would have gotten where where I did in the in the sport. Because most people would have just looked me over; they would have said that yeah. this guy's weak. He has no he has no reason being in a ring or or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and I learned so much from from being under guys like you. So I appreciate that. Ah,
1: oh, cool. Thank you. That's yeah. awesome.
0: So you you've had quite a bit of a um, challenging road yourself. At, several years ago. You are a two-time cancer survivor. Yep, correct. And um, you've been in remission for how long now?
1: Well, now at since 2002 is when I went into remission, so it's now 13 years. So it's it's been hope... it's almost surreal. You know, you look back and go, "Yeah, I had cancer. What do you do?" It's like I, it's like I think uh, for me, I look back at it and I, and all the training and the martial arts that I had and the development. Of not the technical aspects of it, of course, but the ability to continue to endure, even when you're fatigued, to push past limits that you thought were, you know, solid. You no, know, there's no solid limit. We're going to just keep pushing. We're going to try to get to the next level, the next level. And those elements that we've got through just hard training is what was a big part of my ability to survive a real, two pretty serious cancers.
0: Yeah. And you attribute a lot of that to just the mental fortitude then that, that you, you, you gain through the martial arts training.
1: Yeah, there's a big part of that for sure because you think about, first of all, my first cancer was, a, was I had two tumors on my liver and one on my spleen. And that was in final stages, the fourth stage. And they were like, well, you know, we can make him comfortable and see what happens, you know, and give him the, you know, we'll go, go for the chemo. But this is going to be a, a real battle. And to me, I actually was relieved when I found out what I had because I would run in so many times and they they tell me I have this, I have that, and nothing was getting better. And the unknown, I didn't know what to fight. And so I looked at it when I got diagnosed and they said, okay, you have cancer. I was like, okay, I now have an opponent. I know what to go after. Mm. And it was a totally different mindset. I didn't look at it as, oh, my gosh, I got cancer. I was like, okay, I got cancer. This is what I got to go after. I'm going to research it. I'm going to develop it. I'm going to attack it. I'm going to break it down. I'm going to go after it just like I did my training, like I did my martial arts. And, and the fact that through like things like Thai boxing, where you don't ever reach that, that end point. I always tell people like Thai boxing is about the better you get, the tireder you can be for longer.
0: <laughs> That's the truth.
1: Yeah. You know, it's just like you, en- you learn how to endure fatigue and keep going and still look like you're doing Thai boxing. And and uh, that type of mentality was so huge when you're going through chemo and you're just... I remember within two weeks after I got my diagnosis and went into the hospital, I went down to my college wrestling weight, 134 pounds. Wow. It just dwindled down to, you know, usually walking around 156 pounds at that point you know, and just losing 20 pounds of that. And that was mostly muscle and just... And, you know, you're fatigued and you're tired. And I was just like, well, I've been this many times i can get through this and i remember even on the second cancer where i went into remission from the um the 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 lymph it was called large large b-cell lymphoma the tumor on my liver and non-hodgkin's disease and i went into remission and then all of a sudden i started getting all this pain in my legs and i was just getting to the point where i couldn't walk and that was the real battle one. That was the terrible one. Where I ended up being in Rochester Mayo Hospital for six months. I got admitted and never left after that. And they didn't know what it was for basically five and a half months of that time. Wow. And then they finally did a biopsy of my sciatic nerve, and they found out that the cancer had went into my nervous system, into my sciatic nerve. And they said at that point, well, we know what it is. It's called neural lymphomatosis, and there's been... 33 known cases in medical literature, 32 we found postmortem and the 33rd person died. So we've had no survivors to date that we know of. And I didn't know that, of course, because I didn't want to know any of that stuff. I just said, just tell me what I need to do to fight this. And you can tell all the bad details to somebody else. I don't want to know that. I just want to know what I got to do. And at that point in time, they said, well, we're going to need a stem cell transplant. If we don't get a stem cell transplant, it's basically it's over. I'm like, all right, let's do it. They said, well, when we do this biopsy of your sciatic nerve, we might end up, you know, if we clip the wrong nerve or if we pull the wrong one, you might be paralyzed. I said, and I'll play murder ball then. Whatever. Let's go. Uh, (laughs) That's how my mentality was. You know, I want to see my kids grow up. I don't care if I'm in a wheelchair. If I get to live, I'll do it. Let's do it. I can't walk right now. So what's the big difference? And, um. And so I said, okay, and they went in, and they did the biopsy of my static nerve, and they found out that the cancer was there. And then we were able to do with the stem cell transplant. They took the stem cells out of my own blood because my blood wasn't affected. So in four days, I got 5 million stem cells out of my blood, and then uh, they just bombarded you with chemo for like two weeks and just obliterate everything, and that was the rough one. I was like, whoa. And then they reintroduced that stem cell, and within, you think about this, in. Six months, basically, I was stuck in a bed, couldn't walk, my legs were useless, 100% invalid, and within seven days, I was walking and learning how to walk again. And it was just that, that body being reintroduced and the stem cells being from my own body, you know, coming back and overrunning the cancer and just re- rerunning everything. It took me about a year to fully walk without, without a walker and a cane, but to me, it was like, this is training, it's the same thing as training. I'm training. I'm going to get through this. Every day I'm going to do this. It's like another training session. And in fact, when I was going through my MRIs and my pain was so bad in my legs, I always had to grab my feet. And my brother was there. And my brother would say, okay, Greg, this is going to be, you're going to have to sit there for three rounds. Three rounds. And in my mind, I knew it three rounds. I was, okay, three rounds. I can do three rounds. And my brother, okay, next one, four rounds. You can do four rounds. And that's how he did it through all my MRIs. He would, he would do it in terms of, okay, you got five rounds, 25 minutes. If we're doing MMA rounds or it's five rounds, tie boxing rounds or six rounds, whatever he would say, okay. And I'd be like, I can do five rounds. I can do five rounds. I've done five rounds before. And that's how he even termed it. And so my mentality was, okay, I'm going to bring it back to that training method, that training. I can endure five rounds. I can do five rounds of anything. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So that was a big deal.
0: What a great tie in like, um, being able to, to recall from your your past experience and go, it's like this. I could fight that. If I treat it like this, then I'm going to win. Yep.
1: yep. And you think about our mindset, how we've always, through Achan Chai, through Guru Dan, we're always researching. We're always developing. We're always trying to find the next best way to do something. And the Thai boxing especially gave you that mentality of, you got to push through this. This is tiring. This is going to hurt. But this is how you train. This is how you get through things. And that mentality allowed me to uh, really, really push, push through that. And I think another thing that really helped me in ta- talking about the mentality is that ever since I was uh, pretty much ninth grade, I was always looking for and trying to seek out positive sayings and statements and poems or whatever. And so I had notebooks full of them. Back then, you know, I had to go to the library and look at books and, you know, find new books and write down the quotes and do all this. So I had a whole notebook full of them. And so every day at gymnastics, when I was in gymnastics, I would put a new quote on the wall and it could be anything like we can rejoice because thorn bushes have roses or bum out because rose bushes have thorns. You know, it'd be <laughs> something even as, and the guys would look at that and go, what does that mean? You know? <laughs> yeah, so I, but it could be that, or it could be anything like, you know, a really normal positive saying, you know? And so I had all these all over the wall. And so there was a point in time in my, in my, uh, chemo and the cancer that I no longer could read anything because, you know, so much morphine that I remember I I'd, I'd take my eye and I go like this, I could read with one eye really close and pretty soon I couldn't read anymore. And it was just like, so all I could do is remember stuff or I could hear it. Right. So, uh, sometimes I'd have my, my radio with a, with a DV or the CD in there and playing certain music or saying or something positive. And my wife would say at that point in time, she'd say, just make sure that he has this on all the time. And so the nurse would put on my, DV, my CDs, and it could be anything from the music I wanted to listen to or, or a positive you know, seminar that I was in, and I wanted to hear that because that's what I wanted to have in my head. There was times where I'd be battling the cancer. Nothing but negative thoughts would start coming in your head. You're not going to see your kids grow up. You're not going to be able to you know, see all – and that was the worst feeling of not being able to see my kids grow up and if i didn't occupy that those thoughts with something else that would really drag me down so i'd either a have a positive affirmation that i remembered or a a verse from the bible that i memorized and i would just say it over and over and over because your brain can only think of one thought at at a time so i wouldn't let those negative thoughts take over i would just think of one saying over and over and over and say it over and over and over until it so I'd forget negative thought, or negative thought would get bored and go away, and that was another huge part of my athletic development that I brought over to my to the fight with cancer. That that positive mentality, that me, the positive affirmations, whatever you want to say, and I'd just say it over and over and over to take over
0: the bad thoughts. Wow! So this this whole experience, how have you found ways to become a better instructor or a better person as a result of it, which is very hard to say going through something so horrific, but you seem to have be very, very positive on the other end of it. And, uh, just how, how are, how are some ways has it affect you in in a positive way afterwards?
1: Well, I can definitely say this. Sure. Initially I remember the first parts of it were prior to my cancer. I was a very good, very good athlete. I mean, all-American gymnast and wrestler and collegiate wrestler. So I could see something and do it. I mean, that's how I, I would watch it and do something, and I could just, we could mimic it. Pretty soon I could do it. It was really fast. When I came back from cancer, I did not have that athleticism anymore. So I had to relearn how to do a lot of the stuff I knew. I had to relearn how to do, like, the basic shrimp I remember oh. I remember saying this to one of my guys. I said, I am now the guy I used to make fun of. <laughs> I go, I can't even do a shrimp grill. People like, how can you not do this? So what happened is it gave me a huge empathy towards towards people that aren't athletes. And I now know what it's like to learn something and not be able to do it just automatically because I had to learn the easiest things. I had to relearn how to do, and they were difficult now. And so for me teaching... I can look at somebody and say, you know what? I had problems with that same thing, and here's what I did. And they're like, wow, I never thought of it like this. And I never would have thought of it either had I not gone through this and had to relearn how to do all this stuff. And so that was hugely uh, you know, positive in my ability to teach people now because now I can teach a whole level, different level of people that I never really got before because – to me, it's like, how can they not do this? It seems so easy. Well, this is why. And now I feel it. Now I learned it. And now I realized, wow, not everything is just automatic. You have to work. And like I said, like the guys always laugh at me when I, when I told them that. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy I used to make fun of. I can't believe this. <laughs> and and uh, so now I look at somebody and they're having a real hard time with something. I go, you know what? Don't worry about it. Check this out this might help. And I had all these different ideas and drills and ways to develop skill that I had to find out because I had to relearn all these things. I had to learn how to do stuff that to me before was just automatic and there's no longer automatic. So that empathy was huge because especially working at my school right now, I got about 500 students and you're getting all gamuts of the, of the athletic spectrum from the person who's never done anything in your in their life to people who are former college athletes that are coming in and doing something different. And to them, it's pretty, it's cool. you are just going to work out again. And you have a person who's never done anything before and everything is a chore. And now you're like, yeah, you know what? Don't worry about it because, you know, I, I know what that's like now, you know? And so, yeah, that's been huge, huge in my, in my development. Wow. And plus, I'd have to say this too, knowing that I've gone through this, at any point in time I could tell somebody, you know what, I was thirty seven years old, thirty six years old when I first got hit with cancer. Is it at the prime I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I, I ate really well, and bam, I was nailed. And it allows me to now think about this and say, Okay, today when I teach, I'm gonna have the most energy and I'm gonna try to teach the best class I can because I can. That was maybe taken away from me. And it was for a big portion. The guys at my school thought this was over. You know, the people at the hospital thought, you know, we'll make them comfortable till it's over. I mean, there was, there was a lot of doom and gloom for a while there. And so now every day is a gift, and you really look at that, and I really truly believe that because in, you know, literally, think about this, uh, it was April of 2001, I, won the sil- I got the silver medal. I remember I lost to Mike Moses in the, in the final matches. And I got the silver medal in the Pan Am Games. June, I was diagnosed with liver cancer. Wow. And so April, May, June. And they said that the cancer, because it was a slow-growing tumor, is probably in you for the last six, seven months. And I remember not being able to get my breath during competing. Like, gosh, I can't believe it. Why am I so tired? Why am I so fatigued? I usually was a cardio animal. And I, things were getting hard for me, and I was like, "At 37, is this when I start to break down? This is unbelievable! It can't be 37." And it was the fact that that, that tumor was taking so much energy out of me that I mean, when I came back, I was like, "Hey guys, you know, we got to teach as if every class we do and every time we train, it's like a gift. It might be the last time." And you know, that that also changed my mentality and keeps me motivated and allows me to have energy to teach classes. You know, because you know, even when I was in the hospital, I definitely had to fake it to make it. Because some days I felt like absolute crap. And when my kids came in, I had to fake it like, oh, my kids are here. And you know what? Sooner or later, their energy would kind of be infected onto me. And I'd feel their energy and they'd start bouncing and I'd start getting picked up. And I was like, man, if that can happen, I can do the same thing to other people. My kids would come in and give me energy. They didn't, like, have a switch that they found to give me energy, but it's like their energy from them was transferred to me. How can I do that to my students? That's what I want to do. And so, yeah, all these things were something that ended up being a big benefit to me.
0: Wow. Wow. That's that's a truly powerful story. Truly powerful. What, um, what do you define as success? You know, for me, uh, success is,
1: you know, having the ability to do what you want when you want with who you want and how you want, you know, really. And ultimately think about this, that doesn't really take a ton of money because if you're, if you're for me, yeah, I have, I would be considered like having a lot more financial success than I ever did before because we, we now are catering to people that we never would have catered to before because we're like, we're dealing with athletes. We're going to deal with fighters. We're going to build fighters. You know what? There's just not that many of them. Mm. that kind of want to train like we train, that you don't need to motivate. We didn't need somebody to kick us in the butt every day to train. We wanted to get in there and train. We wanted to figure it out. Even on our bad days, we are like, I'm going in anyways. Well, I'm dealing with people that now that we have to call up, hey, where were you? What's going on? Hey, let's get back in here. Come on. I know you don't feel so good, but you know what? Once you get in here, I guarantee you're not going to leave saying, I wish I never would have came in. But you're gonna wish you did come in, and so you know, kind of doing that, and so that um, to me, having that ability to change people's lives and give them the kind of the feeling that I have, if I can do that, if I could take people and give them the feeling that I have to train, I consider that I've, I've, I've done a good job, and I'm now I'm successful.
0: Wow, that's awesome! That's awesome. Um, so we uh, we always end the the podcast off with a question because the whole podcast is about embracing like the warrior spirit in a modern day world, whether you are a athlete, a fighter or a soccer mom, doesn't matter. And so we, we always ask, what is the, what are the three things that you you'd like to pass on to people that would help them embody the warrior spirit in a modern day world?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say, first of all, is find that, find the passion, find something that you have a passion for but without passion. You can have all the rest of the stuff, and it's going to get old. So there has to be a passion for it, for it. something that's just passionate. And that could be anything. That's what's the beauty about, about um, the, the internal characteristics. doesn't matter. So passion is one. Whatever you have passion for, you, know, you find that, and the rest is going to be kind of simple. The second one, I think, is you have to have discipline. You have to have the discipline to do something, to get up, to start it, and to finish it. If you have the discipline, something that allows you to, you know, gives you that that whatever it is that pushes you to continue on and finish the task, that's huge. And discipline is a is a, is a major thing. And the second thing is, or third thing, as I'd say, is, is uh, you know, you want to have, a, and it doesn't have to be crazy, but there has to be a, a kind of a, a desire to want to do the work, a work ethic. Work ethic. That doesn't have to be crazy. You don't have to be like we were. But if you have a work ethic that gets you up and, and allows you to focus on something for 30 minutes a day of intense focus, that can change a life. People don't understand what 30 minutes of intense focus is pretty long. Most people, five minutes is a is a huge thing. So if you have the ability to, that passion, discipline, and, and, a, and a work ethic, I think you can you can do just about anything, and they're all all three of them are tied together, because think about you could have work ethic, but if you don't have pa- uh, passion, eventually it's going to dry up. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a job, it becomes a chore, it becomes almost dredge drudgery. If you have passion for something, it's much easier to develop the discipline because you want to do it. There's a, there's a, there's a desire to want to be disciplined, so. I, I really think that a lot of things can be boiled down to that first one. You got to find something that that really wakes you up in the morning that you want to do that gives you, that has passion. And again, that could be anything. That's the awesome thing about it. It doesn't have to be sports. It doesn't have to be you know what normal people would consider you know an average thing like an artist or a surfer or a sports guy or whatever. It could be anything if you. Have that passion for it you got passion to raise your kids correctly and that's your passion mm. and you've changed mil- who knows how many lives if you've developed two kids that are great that have that positive mentality those two kids could affect thousands and thousands you know so I think that passion is huge because that will allow you to be disciplined and give you that work
0: ethic. Wow, very cool. So, what do you guys have coming up soon? Do you have any uh, upcoming events or anything going on at the the gym that you like to let the world know?
1: Yeah, we have. Um, we always have guys that are competing. We just had a uh, guy that's compete in, in Vegas. His first time out of the state competing, and it was for more of a Hispanic fighters. who are trying to build this Hispanic fighter. He's called the Sexy Mexi, right? Nice. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and he went out and he just won his big tournament or his big fight in Vegas. And that just happened. So that's kind of cool. So hopefully that will be like a springboard for him to, to continue on. We have a couple of guys that are in the Matamoros coming up. And uh, there's the tournament, the Matamoros tournament, so where they're, they're going to have the first one Chicago. Then it's in another state, another state. So we have actually three guys that are associated, but two from my academy that are in it. And thankfully they're in opposite brackets on the first, first couple of legs. Sure. And so uh, that's, that's coming up So on that end of things. We have our um, our submission hunt tournament coming up. We always have our submission hunt in the winter. It's, we have two tournaments a year and we call it the submission hunt. And uh and that's coming up. So now we're we're preparing that and that that's cool cuz we get to let, have everybody in our school regardless if you're a great grappler or somebody who just wants to try it, get in there and have some fun. And- put yourself to the test, and, I, and and that's how we really like it. Someone said, well, have have been here four days. Can I do the submission hunt? I go, of course you can. Why not? What if I get beat? So what? <laughs> Who cares? Have fun. <laughs> you know? So we have that, and I really like that because we get to see all levels of people out there competing. And so we do that, so that's coming up, and so now we're in the process of developing that. We've been doing that, I think, for, yeah, since before I had cancer. So that's been a long time. So almost 16 years we've been doing the submission hunt and uh doing that and we always have some guys competing here and there but you know for me it's uh i really looking forward to you know some of those guys that are doing our the like the Morris thing and uh and and that's i think the biggest biggest events right now we had we just had a, a seminar with uh um uh, we, we had uh one of the guys that caitlin's working with out in california is tie tie fighter and I never even—I didn't know who it was at first. And I go because there's so many Thai guys.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there's a ton of them.
1: So I'm like, all right, let's bring him in. And it was great. And it was a great seminar. It wasn't like the the famous guy, but he was good. I mean, he's been—he was a ranked guy in Thailand. And he was. Uh, and Caitlin, now is in California training with him, and she's getting ready for some big fights, uh, in lion fights. So she's getting ready for that doing Thai boxing.
0: Oh, Caitlin's fighting a lion fight, huh?
1: Yes, Caitlin Young. Yes. Okay. Yep, it went young. Because cool. she's gone back to what her original love was, which is Muay Thai and Thai boxing, and she always had this. Like I said, she's had the passion for that, and she just—it almost like she thought she had to do mixed martial arts to to make it. Mm-hmm. And now that we have lion fights and we have glory and we have these other things, Thai boxing is now being out, coming up again, which I think is awesome. It's great. <laughs> And I just had a, I just had a, one of our guys, Troy Jones Jr. He just won the uh, he just won the um, the world uh, the championships in Thailand. He was uh, the the guy the gold medalist. Oh. Yep, uh, the gold medalist. And then we had um, uh, there was another guy. I'm not sure if it was Brian Polkjoy's guy who got the silver and then won bronze. So We had a gold, a silver, and a bronze in the world championships here in Thailand. It just happened uh, three weeks ago, a month ago. And that was, that was cool. So he's uh, back and he's training for a big fight in Canada with uh, with a champion out of Canada. So that's another fight we're doing. So we're, now we're having a resurgence of Muay Thai again, which I love. I tell you this, I've always loved Muay Thai more than any other fighting things I've ever done. Even though I've been known for having great MMA fighters, there's something about Thai boxing that... that there is no other way to win other than getting in front of that guy and punching, kicking, kneeing, and elbowing him more than he does to you. And yeah. you don't have the ability to take the guy down and get out of that realm. you know. So I think it's a huge thing, and I love it. I love it, the fact that it's growing again. And uh, we're going to start bringing our guys up, more Thai fighters again.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've always had like just world-class Thai fighters of all all types, but particularly in the Muay Thai, I remember – uh, getting a chance to train with you, and, and I'm excited about it too. Just uh, it's I fought mixed martial arts, but Mu- Muay Thai has always been my first love. So it's always great to see the sport kind of coming I, back around. It's it's, it's so, great. You know,
1: and I and I see this too. There's there's a there's a discipline, there's a respect, there's a loyalty that I don't see in mixed martial arts. At the lower levels of mixed martial arts, it is a drudgery going to those shows sometimes because mm. everybody's the toughest guy in the planet everybody's, you know, there's just like this, this air of entitlement at the higher levels. You don't see that at the UFC and at the tire, because all those guys have already tasted defeat. They've tasted victory. They've worked their butts off. It's a passion to them. So at the higher levels, you feel, you know, like it, like it's martial arts, but at the lower levels of mixed martial arts, just about any clown can get in there and do it. You know, you, you can't be a a clown and get in and do Thai boxing. You're going to get slaughtered and hurt. But yes. you can go in and say, "Well, I've wrestled a little bit. If I take the guy down, I can survive." And you know what? They could. But if you have not really trained Thai boxing, you just can't get in and do a Thai boxing fight. You're going to get smashed, you know. And there's something about the the honor and the loyalty and the tradition of Muay Thai that I think grounds people differently, makes them makes them have more of that martial arts spirit, as I say, because you know you learn how to do the ram Mui, which you have to honor your your parent your the your parents the your past instructors people that you looked up to your religion you know which MMA you can do what you want yeah. you can be a fighter you know and i and to me that's where you know there's a little bit of loss because now they don't really have anything they can pass on to another person you can't just pass on fighting skills and say hey you're going to be a fighter go and then how are they going to affect, how are they going to become better at their job? You know, yep. Yeah. Hey, if a bag sells more than me, I can beat him up. I don't know. You know, right. no, but people, <laughs> that stuff that you've developed through martial arts, you know, the persistence, consistency, the respect, the loyalty, the work ethic, these things that you can't do without, you know, training hard. And, and, and I think there's a big part of that respect and loyalty that makes you a better person, you know, and that history and that, and that lineage that, you're, that you respect, that you really, that, you've, that you're not just competing for yourself, but you're actually competing for your instructor and for your whole, the whole association that you're developed in. You're actually thinking about that when you're competing. Mm. That makes you a better person and a bigger, because you're not competing just for yourself, but you're competing for a, a whole group of people. And um, I think that's a big part of uh, why I like Thai boxing
0: yeah that that aspect of it I think you you hit it right on the nail the the community aspect of it the I feel that mixed martial arts just like other sports the the, the character side of it can be learned, but mm-hmm. it's often is done accidentally if it happens to be a byproduct of winning matches, then great, but if not that's not really the focus whereas the martial arts aspect of it that is our primary concern is who are you becoming as a result of your craft, your practice?
1: Yeah. It seems like the MMA, it's all about the product. I'm going to be a UFC. I'm going to get UFC. And what if you don't? Well, then I quit fighting. I don't know. You know, To me, and that, that air of entitlement where they, they have a uh, two fights and they think they need sponsors. Now And mm. I go, you haven't done anything. <laughs> <laughs> fought a couple of times who hasn't you know <laughs> let's earn that you know and I don't think like you don't ever see that in Thai boxing like oh I'm gonna go I gotta get my, my my sponsors now I gotta do this I gotta do that that comes because you are known you become known because of your your ability to fight and you're not only ability to fight but you're showing the the respect and the honor and the discipline that comes along with Thai boxing you're an ambassador not just some tough dude and that's that's what I think is that's that's what the best people are. They end up being the the funnest to work with and the most respectful. That's what it's, that's what it's about.
0: That's awesome. Well, sir, I, I could talk to you all day. It's truly been an honor having you. And um, j- just just so you know, and for all the people, the fans of this, uh, my show, the, to know that um, you have been extremely influential in my upbringing as a martial arts. It, is, it was refreshing to see someone who had the legitimate walk-to-walk, talk-to-talk aspect of, of, of MMA and Muay Thai. You, your people not fought well in the ring, but you also had that that warrior spirit, that, that character development side of it, and that's carried into everything that I've done from this point on. I'm doing Spartan races right now where I'm going out and doing these obstacle courses cool. for crazy distances, and everything that I've ever learned from you and, and my best martial arts teachers carries me through these races, and nice. I mean, I'm very appreciative of everything you've done.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I've been looking at I've been looking at your uh,
0: Facebook and seeing
1: all the cool stuff you are doing, and I think that's super awesome. And uh, you know, that's what it comes down to. You know, you get to have that fun and and kind of it's it's the process. You know, it's like now oh, I get to do this, I get to try this, I get to, oh man, it's, it's that's what it's about. That's what I think is so fun. That's super cool. Glad you are able to do all that stuff.
0: Thank you very much.